But nonetheless, we're going to go ahead and get into our study now. So won't you pray with me as we dig into God's word? Father, you are truly so beautiful. And you are all we need. You are more than we could ever want, more than we could ever hope for, and more than we could possibly imagine. And so I pray that right now in this time, that we would push aside everything that's gone on in our day, everything going on in our lives. That as we spend time digging into your word, that we would really look full, Jesus, into your wonderful face. That you would be God in our lives. That we would be still and know that you're God. Please show up. Please meet us here tonight. Because you're all we want. You're all we need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in the book of Numbers. And we're going to be looking at chapter 11 today. Numbers chapter 11. Last week, we did a little recap uh, of all that we've learned so far. We started in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and now finally we're in Numbers. We did a recap, and you guys did okay on your little pop quiz. It was like 50%, okay? It wasn't awesome, but there was a couple people who were really paying attention. Richie had a ton of answers. I was stoked. He's been listening. Uh, But if you haven't been coming, you get a hall pass. If you missed, you know, haven't been coming or something like that, I understand, you know. But we also did an intro of the book of Numbers. Intro of the book of Numbers. And uh, so let's see how much we we remember from that. Remember, when I do my awkward hand gesture like this, this is like the invitation to dialogue. (laughs) So Numbers is the book of complaining. Numbers, the book of complaining or grumbling. Um, I made the joke last week that numbers is, we read numbers to learn how to make your life count. Uh, But, ha, ha, ha. Numbers is the book of grumbling. It's the book of complaining. Why? Because the entire book, it seems, is filled with countless examples and countless times that the children of Israel complain about their circumstances to God or I guess rather not to God, but in the hearing of God or against God even. Time and time and time again, Israel is complaining and grumbling and murmuring, bummed about their circumstances. And today we are going to be looking at the prime example of that in Numbers chapter 11. We're going to see seven things about complaining. Seven things about complaining we're going to learn. And so if you have pen and paper, you might want to take notes. If not, hopefully you have a great memory. But we're going to be looking at at seven things about complaining and about complainers. (laughs) But the book of Numbers, again, not only is the book of grumbling or the book of complaining, but there's one specific event that goes on throughout the book or one major event in in Israel's history that happens. What is that? Starts in chapter 14 and pretty much goes through the rest of the book. What's happening there? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Anyone? The, the wilderness wanderings. Okay. Chapters 
14 through the end of the book of Numbers, for the most part, cover the wilderness wanderings of the people of Israel. So right now, right now, as where we're at in chapter 11, they have now set off from Mount Sinai and they are on their way through the desert, through the wilderness, on their way to the promised land. God has just rescued them out of Egypt just over a year ago. He has brought them out of Egypt. They saw all of his miraculous signs. Okay. You remember in the book of Exodus, we saw all these crazy plagues happen, right? Israel sees all this happen. And some of the plagues they see happen to Egypt, but not to them. Then God rescues them out of enslavement in Egypt. And they make their way to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea and they cross through on dry land. Then on their way to Mount Sinai, they stop at the bitter pools of Mara. And while they're there at Mara, they grumble and complain while they're there that, oh, you led us into the wilderness to die. And so God shows up miraculously and he commands Moses to throw a tree, in a sense, into the water. And the waters are, are made well. They're made clean. And Israel is able to drink all this water. From there, they make their way to Mount Sinai where they see God manifest himself on the mountain. They see God. And they receive the the Ten Commandments and remaining 603 commandments that they'd get there at Mount Sinai from him. They've seen all this amazing stuff and now they've set out from Mount Sinai on their way to inherit the promised land. And on the way... Now in chapter 11, we're going to see what happens. Chapter 11, verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlining parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taberah because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Okay, we'll pause right there. So we have a quick, a quick snapshot of an instance of Israel complaining to God. It only comprises about three verses, but Israel for some reason complains not necessarily to God, but it says in the hearing of the Lord. And then it says, when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. Now, the important thing about this phrasing, how it's phrased, it says that they complained in the hearing of the Lord and when the Lord heard it. Uh, This verb in the Hebrew, heard, is not active, it's passive. Okay, in other words, he overheard it. So Israel is not going and praying to God here. But they're wandering through the camp, complaining and grumbling amongst each other about God in his hearing. And so God overhears their complaining. And it says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And it says that the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. So in this snapshot, we see the people that are sort of on the fringe. They're on the edge, okay? These are not the, your most spiritually strong people, okay? You remember if 
when we studied how Israel was camped around uh, the tabernacle, the Levites, or those who were ministering to the Lord, were camped right around the camp. And it was sort of like the closer you got to the tabernacle, the closer you got to the center, you were the closest to God's presence. But these people are not near the tabernacle, okay? These are like the backseat Baptists. You know, the guy who sits in the church in the very back row, and he shows up 15, 20 minutes late, and he leaves right away uh, just so he, you know, can beat the, beat the traffic out of the parking lot. This is the guy that he, they're not really concerned about God. They're not really growing closer to him. They're not really plugged in or involved in church. You know the type. And so these outskirts people are complaining about something. And the anger of the Lord is kindled against them. A fire burns and it burns up, consumes some of the outlying parts of the camp. These people on the fringes who are complaining and grumbling against God. But Moses steps in and he prays for the people of Israel. He intercedes for them and God listens and he, and he stops the fire. And only the, the outlying fringes of the camper are burned or consumed. But then we see in verse 4, listen. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We'll pause right there. This is the first thing we're going to see about grumbling, about complaining. And it's sort of two-sided. I wanted to keep it at seven things that we're going to get about grumbling and complaining. So I sort of crammed two together. Shoot me. So the first thing that we're going to see about grumbling, about complaining, is that even though grumbling is usually started by less spiritually mature people, you know, the fringes, the outside, the people who aren't really grounded in the Lord, grumbling and complaining is contagious. Grumbling and complaining is contagious. Listen, oftentimes, grumbling, complaining, we don't really look at it as that big of a deal. I mean, who here has not grumbled and complained? We all do it, and we all do it so often that we really don't think it's such a problem anymore. You know, what do we grumble about? What do we complain about? Well, we definitely grumble and complain about and against our, our politicians, right? And politics in general, we love to grumble pardon me, we love to grumble and complain about politics or the people we work with. There's someone that I work with that, and I mean, yeah, I work at the church, but there's even people at the church who don't really have such a great work ethic. And so there's someone that that I come in contact with at work that I, I find myself grumbling and complaining about sometimes because he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do work, and so I find myself grumbling and complaining about or against him. But how often have you found yourself grumbling and complaining against a teacher or a boss? A manager or a supervisor who isn't really a, a good person, and they're, they're not good at their job, and we find ourselves talking with our, our coworkers or our classmates, grumbling against that person, complaining about them. I can't believe how unfair they are. 
I, I didn't even do anything wrong and I got yelled at. Who do they think they are? They completely suck at their job. How dare they, they call me out? Murmur, 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 grumbling and complaining. On top of all that, we just find plenty of other people, other Christians in the church that we can grumble and complain about. 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 I can't believe Susie. She's such a sin sniffer. She's just, all she does is try and pick out the, the problems in my life and everyone else's. You know, I, I sometimes wonder if she's even a Christian or that guy, Bob, you know, Bob is just such a, he, he's such a slacker. He never really does anything. And, you know, I, I doubt his salvation and, you know, he, he just goes off partying and no one really knows what he does. And he just, but we hear about him going to these parties and grumbling and complaining and murmuring. Yeah, as Christians and, and even as Americans, it seems like grumbling has become a national pastime of ours. We love to grumble, we love to complain, and as a result, we feel like it's not such a big deal. But we've just seen that grumbling and complaining for the children of Israel had deathly consequences. It makes God righteously ticked off. But so often, it is started by the the outside. The outsiders, you know, the the people on the outskirts, that they're just sort of on the edge of the camp and they're not really involved. They're not really plugged in. They're not really a part of the church. They're just sort of sitting on the outside lobbing rocks sort of into the church and complaining and grumbling, complaining and grumbling. But what ends up happening is grumbling and complaining are contagious. They're contagious. And so when you grumble and you complain, or you're rather around someone who's grumbling and complaining, you find yourself becoming very negative about that person or about that situation, and you begin to grumble and complain yourself, and you go to the the next person you see, and you know, oh, how are you doing? You know, I'm just really bummed. I'm really ticked off. I'm really teed off. This is what's going on, and I can't believe that this person would do that, and Josh told me that they do this and that and the other thing, and I can't believe they do something like that, and then that person's bummed out. Now they're going to go and grumble and complain to their mother or their father or their best friend or the girl at the nail salon. I don't know. But grumbling and complaining, it'll start with, yeah, often the person on the outside, it'll start with the fringe person who isn't really close. They're not really walking with the Lord. They may not be spiritually mature, but I don't care who you are. Grumbling is contagious and it will infect and affect you very quickly and very easily. We see from our text here that the first time we have this little snapshot of grumbling, it's just the people on the outskirts that are grumbling and complaining. But in verse four, it says, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. The rabble, what's that talking about? Rabble or another word, another translation might be riffraff. These were the people, the people on the outskirts that are just sort of along for the ride. They're not really uh, worshipers of God. They're not really obedient to him, but they saw all the amazing things that God did in Egypt, all these miracles. And so they've just attached themselves for the ride. There's many Christians in our church today that are like that, aren't there? There are many Christians who are just along for the ride. 
They don't have enough evidence to say that God doesn't exist. They don't really let it affect their lives. And so they just come to church and attach themselves for the ride. And that's about it. They do their 45 minutes a week on Sunday mornings and then they go home. They go on about their week and it it doesn't really affect their lives. They are not godly or God-fearing people, right? And so that's what's happening here. The rabble, these riffraff, these people who are not really involved, they're not really plugged in, they're not really connected, they're not really worshipers of God. The rabble among them had a strong craving. But we see the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. Listen, it started with just the outsiders, the, the outskirts, the riffraff, the rabble. They, they had a strong craving, but their grumbling and their complaining in, ended up almost immediately spreading throughout the entire people of Israel. And now we have the entire group of people of Israel grumbling and complaining, crying out, whining, oh, that we had meat to eat. Listen, grumbling and complaining, it may start with non-spiritual people, but it is so infectious. It's so contagious that it will spread to everyone like wildfire. And so family, we need to make sure to take care about who we hang out with. That we don't hang out with people who are prone to grumbling and complaining. Now I know that there's no grumblers anonymous or stwell. 12-step, gosh, I can't speak, 12-step recovery system for grumbling or complaining. But I'm sure you can spot a grumbler or complainer anyway pretty easily. And so my advice to you is don't, don't cut off contact altogether, but always make sure that when you're around that person, you make sure to notice who is influencing whom. Be sure to pay attention to who is influencing whom. Because grumbling, complaining, They're extremely contagious. We'll continue reading in verse 4. We'll just start again in verse 4. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing but all this manna to look at. What? Wait a minute. Let me read that again. I think I got confused. I think I must have misaligned or misread something there. Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. No, no, read that right. Here's Israel grumbling and complaining, wishing they were back in Egypt. Look at this romantic picture they portray in their minds of how Egypt was. Oh, the, the free fish didn't cost us anything, and all the leeks and the garlic and the onions and the melons, oh, it was so delicious. I wish we were back in Egypt. I wish we were back there where we, meat flowed freely and we just had such a great time and we were living in the lap of luxury. Things were great there in Egypt. Well, that's not the Egypt I remember. Going back to Exodus, I mean, we just studied it only a couple months ago. Egypt was oppressive to them. There were these awful taskmasters that worked them literally all day long. And they made them make bricks 
you know, without all the proper materials. So the bricks would just fall apart and they'd have to keep building bricks. They didn't have straw to hold the bricks together and the bricks would keep falling apart. They'd have to remake bricks. They'd fall apart. They'd have to remake them. And these awful taskmasters with their whips and harsh slave drivers that the people of Israel were crying out to God, please save us, save us, save us. But here we find them looking back at Egypt and kind of wishing they were back there again. Here's the thing about grumbling and complaining. Listen, not only is it contagious, but grumbling and complaining has a tainted picture of the past. Grumbling and complaining paints a tainted picture of the past. It looks back on our old life in the world or living in sin, and it says, hey, that wasn't so bad. My life was pretty good before I had Jesus. I mean, all those parties where I was drinking, I had a really good time. Drugs were pretty awesome. I mean, it it was fun. Going around and and sleeping with whoever I wanted to, I I had a lot of fun doing that. I think I kind of want to go back to my old ways. I didn't have to wake up every Sunday morning and go to church. I didn't have to give 10% of my paycheck, that's for sure. I kept all my money. I didn't have to like all these people, you know. Gosh, everyone's telling me to love all these people. I don't even like them. I have to like these people. It wasn't like that before Jesus. But what we forget is the nights that we spent hung over a toilet bowl. (laughs) Or the mornings that we couldn't remember what happened the night before. Or the pain and the heartbreak of relationships that went awry, that we gave that person a piece of our heart, and now they've just ripped it in half. We don't remember the, the pain of getting over the addiction or the pain that we caused other people of our addictions. We look at our life before Christ, and, and oftentimes when we grumble and we complain, we paint a tainted picture of our past. And it looks pretty sweet, and it's all romanticized, and it's all, you know, rose-colored glasses and silver-lined clouds. But that's not the case. It's not reality. Family, so often we grumble and we complain about our circumstances, about our situations, and we look back and we say, oh, I wish that I was at that church again because when I was going to that church, I didn't have any of the problems I had here. Oh, I wish that I didn't have kids like I do now, because now my life has just taken a turn for the worse. Or married life is so much harder than single life. I wish I was single again. We take a look back at our past and we romanticize it. And we believe that things were, be- were better than. But listen, family, that's not the case. That's not the case. Grumbling always paints a tainted picture of our past. That's what's happening with Israel. They're looking back at Egypt and thinking, oh man, what a great place. Why don't we go back there again? They had a tainted picture of their past. Not only did, does grumbling paint a tainted picture of your past, but it gives you a bad perspective of the present. It gives you a bad perspective of the present. In verse 6, we read, but now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all, but this manna to look at. In other words, let me paraphrase for you the Tyler Revised Standard Edition of the Bible. If I have to look at another piece of this stinking manna, I'm going to lose my mind. 
It's unattractive. It's gross looking. It's not tasty. It's just bland. Man, this stuff is awful. It's terrible. There's nothing you can do with it. You just have to eat it just how it is. If I have to look at another piece of man, if I, if another piece of man crosses my lips, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'd rather kill myself than eat another stinking bit of this manna. It sounds pretty gross, the way that they're treating this manna. It seems pretty awful. When I think of the manna that Israel is sort of portraying here in this verse, when they say, all we have to look at is all this stinking manna, I feel like it's dry oatmeal. Have you ever tried to eat dry oatmeal? It's not easy, and it's not that good. It's pretty awful. I remember I tried to do it one time in our office because I figured it was like, I mean, I do that with granola. You know, I eat granola cereal, you know, and you put milk in it. It's a lot better, but I've eaten granola dry before, and that was okay. I mean, I stomached it. And so we're in the office, and I hate making oatmeal with water anyway. I I like to make oatmeal with milk, but we have instant oatmeal in our office, but we were out of water. We were out of water, and I I didn't want to go use the water in our bathroom in the sink just because that, I don't know, that just didn't seem like a good appetizing thing. And so I thought I would eat the oatmeal dry, and it was awful. It didn't taste like oatmeal. It was hard to really swallow because it would just cling to the sides of my mouth. It was an awful, awful experience. And when I think of the manna as Israel is putting it, that's the picture that comes to my mind, is trying to eat, eat oatmeal dry. But listen, that is not the case at all. That's not the case at all. In fact, let's go ahead and keep reading in verse 7. Moses gives us a really good explanation of what manna actually was. Verse 7. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of bedellium. Now, bedellium is sort of irrelevant to us, but it was a very precious substance that was found right around the Garden of Eden. So putting it into our terminology today, uh, the, uh, the manna was beautiful. It looked like diamonds sort of thing. It was gorgeous. It was a precious, precious, precious material. It was beautiful. It wasn't awful to look at at all, but it was actually really pleasant to look at. It looked pretty. This bedellium looking manna We go on to read in verse 8 that the people went out and gathered it and ground it in handmills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. There was lots of ways to prepare manna. In fact, had the opportunity been given, I'm sure Food Network would have come out with uh, 365 ways to cook manna. They ground it, they beat it, they boiled it, they made cakes out of it. They, they could do all kinds of amazing stuff with this manna. They found all kinds of creative ways to eat this stuff. As if that wasn't enough. We go on to read there at the end of verse 8, that the taste of it was like tastes of cakes baked with oil. Now, that doesn't seem too special to us, the taste of cakes baked with oil. Um, but another translation or another way to put it is that Uh, In the Holman, I can't remember the entire translation name, but it's the HCSB uh, translation of the Bible, puts it like this, that the manna was like flaky pastries baked with olive oil. That sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. It tasted like a, a really nice flaky pastry, like an Italian pastry. Sounds pretty good to me. That's how it tasted. 
Verse 9, when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. So if all that wasn't enough, I mean, it's pretty attractive to look at. There's tons of ways to make it. It's actually really tasty, and it's free. It's free. They didn't have to buy it. They didn't have to trade for it. The manna literally just miraculously fell from heaven every single night. This was delicious. It was amazing. It was from heaven. It was the original angel food cake. This is like amazing. And here we have Israel complaining, grumbling. What do they have to say? (sighs) Egypt was so much better. I wish we could go back there. Remember all the spices and the leeks and the garlic and the onions and the melons. All we have is this stinking manna to eat. It's gross and I'm so sick of it. When in reality, it was beautiful. It was tasty. It was free. There's lots of ways to make it. Maybe, maybe. Jonathan asked if, um, if God was testing their contentedness. And uh, a little bit. We're going to see that, I think, in a little bit. So sit tight. But uh, what was I saying? Oh, it was, it was attractive. It was beautiful. It was tasty. It was free. Listen, not only is grumbling and complaining contagious, not only does it paint a tainted view or a tainted picture of our past, but it also gives us a skewed perspective on the present. It gives us a skewed perspective on the present. We look at our situation and when we grumble and complain, we look at our situation or circumstances or surroundings or the people that are in our lives and they seem so much worse than they actually are. It's not really all that bad as you make it out. You know, we, we look at ourselves and, oh man, I, I can't believe I'm in this stinking job. I hate this job. I wish so desperately I could get out of this place. I mean, all I, 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 you know, in fact, actually, as I'm sort of giving all this hypothetical, I, I felt this very recently. I felt like, you know, maybe it's time for me. I, I have an awesome job at Harvest, but I was feeling like I hated my job. I was grumbling and complaining you know, inside myself and, and with others, you know, like, man, you know, I just, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I can't be a, an intern forever. You know, I mean, it's only been one year, but to me that was forever at that point, you know, and I'm thinking, man, I I can't, you know, get paid pennies for the rest of my life being an intern. I think it's time for me to move on and get another job. And, and I was grumbling and complaining about my circumstances. And when I took a step back and realized I have an amazing job. I love my job. It's awesome. And I was even contemplating going back to my previous job, the company I left to work at Harvest. And although it was great to work there, when I was there, I didn't like it that much. And the biggest thing was, is it didn't give me opportunity to really minister. I didn't have the opportunity to minister. And now I work in a job where that's all I get to do. And here I am grumbling and complaining about my past and wishing I could go back there. And I think I'm going to go back to that old company. I think I'm going to quit the church. My job stinks. I hate my job. Poor me. When in reality, listen, I have have a fantastic job. I'm lucky to have the job I do. I get paid to, to hang out with a bunch of high school kids and just do ministry. That's about it. It's pretty awesome. I get to wake up, like I said, you know, I... 
I already told you, I don't really wake up that early at all. And so if I roll into work at 9.30, it's like, oh, that's cool, whatever. On Wednesdays, I don't have to get into work until 11 p.m. Or I'm sorry, a.m., 11 a.m. I work till 11 p.m. That would be awful. I work till 11 p.m., but I don't have to get in until 11 a.m. I really have an amazing job. I love my job. But listen, when we grumble, when we complain like I was, it gives us, it, it paints a, a tainted picture of our past. And it also gives us a, a skewed perspective on our present. Things look a lot worse than they actually are when we're grumbling and when we're complaining. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you're in that place right now where you're sort of looking at your, what's going on now And it just seems awful. It seems tragic. It seems like a total nightmare. And you wish that you weren't where you're at in life. And you're looking back at your past thinking, oh, if I could only go back to the good old days. Remember, the good old days weren't really as good as they were. And the days today really aren't as bad as they are or as they seem. But not only, listen, not only is Israel's picture of their past tainted, Not only is their perspective of their present skewed, but the biggest problem is, is they're forgetting the future. They're forgetting the future. And that's our our next point. I think it's our fourth point about grumbling, about complaining. Is grumbling and complaining causes us to forget the future. Listen, Israel is wandering through the wilderness, right? This by... By miracle, this bread from heaven is falling down. They're fed every day. They don't need to worry about food. God provides water for them every single day. It's pretty awesome. But ultimately, they're wandering through the wilderness for these short few days until they get to where? The promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. Where God has promised their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's promised them, I'm going to give you this land. You're going to go in and you're going to inherit this land that flows with milk and honey. This is, in a sense, Eden number two, okay? This is going to be awesome for you guys. You're going to love it. It's going to be total, absolute paradise for you. But where, where are they? They're a couple days into the wilderness, and they've completely forgotten that fact. They've for- completely forgotten the fact that God has great things promised for them in the very near future. And all they see is this twisted or skewed perspective on their present situation. They've completely forgotten the future blessings and promises that God has for them just over the next mountain range. All they have to do is go up over the hill and look down and there's the promised land. And Christian, listen. This life is a blink of an eye compared to eternity. Just like Israel, God has called us out of being slaves to our sin, to the world, to Egypt. And we're now wandering, walking through the wilderness on our way to where? The promised land, to heaven. Listen, when we grumble, when we complain, we forget our future. When we realize, when we recognize that heaven awaits us, that just over the next hill, we're going to spend eternity with Jesus. Listen, 
our present circumstances, our problems, our situations, they really don't matter much. It's like the the hymn that I quoted before we started our study tonight. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Listen, when we forget the future blessing and promise that God has for us, it leads us to grumble. It leads us to grumble. It's been said before, don't be so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. But listen, when it, when it comes to grumbling and complaining, which by the way will completely debilitate a person, they won't get anything accomplished because all they can do is grumble and complain and poor me pity party. In order not to be a grumbler, a complainer, someone of no earthly good, you must be heavenly minded. You must be heavenly minded. To be of any earthly good whatsoever, you have to be heavenly minded, Christian. Let's not forget our future. Let's not forget our future. Let's not allow ourselves to have a skewed perspective on our present circumstances. And let's not allow ourselves to paint tainted pictures of our past. Looking at our life before Christ and believing that it was really all roses and it's better to go back there, back to Egypt. It's not the case. It's not true. And grumbling puts us in that place. But let's go ahead and continue to read in verse 10. Verse 10, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once if I find favor in your sight and I may not see my wretchedness. Listen, not only are the people of Israel grumbling and complaining, but because of their grumbling and complaining, now Moses starts to grumble and complain. Listen, it's like I said, it may start with the most non-spiritual people, but grumbling and complaining are extremely contagious and everyone and anyone is susceptible to falling prey to it. But listen, there's something else so crucial, so key that we see out of Moses's cries to God or his complaints and his grumbling to God. It's that grumbling and complaining is not only contagious, it not only is rooted and gives us a uh, a tainted picture of our past and a skewed picture of our present and causes us to forget our future, but grumbling and complaining, listen, is also all about me. Grumbling and complaining is selfish. Grumbling and complaining is selfish. 
Okay, here in these five verses, Moses refers to himself no less than 20 times. 20 times. Actually, in the English, it's, I think, 16 or 17. But in the Hebrew, there's a couple other that the English translations, some of them leave out. But so in the original language that this was written in, in Hebrew, Moses refers to himself no less than 20 times. Which is pretty interesting compared to the fact that you remember when Israel crossed through the Red Sea, right? And they had, in chapter 15, we studied what worship should be as Moses worships and praises God when he references God's name over 50 times. He references God 50 times in an entire chapter, but in five verses, he talks about himself over 20 times. Listen, grumbling and complaining is selfish. It's all about me, poor me, pity party. Somebody feel sorry for me. It's like my, my mom, who I love, and I'm not, I'm not throwing my mom under the bus about this, um, but because it's mostly a joke that she would do. Um, all growing up, whenever my mom would have, like, she'd have a headache or, like, something would just, like, not completely be going right with her day, she would, it, she was joking, but she'd, you know, do something incredibly dramatic. She would always say, um, you know, I, like, we'd just be in the house, like, all in different rooms, and she'd, like, just yell out through the house, I have a headache and nobody cares! And, you know, so we'd all come down, oh, mom, I'm so sorry you have a headache. You want me to get you an Excedrin? Or if we were in the car, you know, she, she would just do something like that, you know. Nobody cares. Nobody even cares about me that I have this problem going on. And, of course, you know, we couldn't know that that was going on. And she was just being funny, being, you know, dramatic, you know, for us to get a laugh out of it and everything. But that's essentially what we do when we grumble and we complain, isn't it? My coworker is just, he's lazy and I do all of his work and nobody cares. Nobody cares that I carry his burden and I do all his work. Nobody cares about that. My boss is a total jerk to me and nobody even cares about me. Me, me, my, my, I, I. Grumbling and complaining are completely selfish. Now what's the problem with that? What's the problem with that? Well, Here at this Bible study, as we go through the entire Bible, a chapter a day together as a family, we're reading and studying the Bible through the lens of two statements. Jesus said that all the law and the prophets, or literally the entire Bible, is summed up in these two things. That you'd love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you'd love your neighbor as yourself. The problem with that is, is Jesus didn't, add a third command on there and say that you need to love yourself. Popular psychology today, and even, listen, Christian psychology, will say things like, you need to learn to love yourself. Love yourself first before you can love others, because Jesus says love your neighbor as yourself, so logically you have to love yourself first. Listen, the problem with that is, is I may not know every single one of you very well, but And I may be pretty young, but I've been around for long enough to know that everybody loves themselves pretty well. Y'all love yourselves pretty well enough. You don't need to love yourselves anymore in order to love other people. Jesus knew that, which is why 
love yourself is not the third greatest commandment. In fact, it's not in the commands at all. It's written within your nature to love yourself, which is why it's not a command. And so we are called rather to love others as we love ourselves. Here's my point. There's no room for selfishness in the Christian life. There's no room for selfishness in the Christian life. We're to be loving God and we're to be loving others, not ourselves. There's no room for self in the Christian life, but rather we're to daily die to ourself, pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Yes, complaining and grumbling are contagious. They also give us a tainted picture of our past and a skewed perspective of our present circumstances. They cause us to forget our future and grumbling and complaining is always rooted in selfishness. Poor me, Moses says. Let's see how God responds to Moses in verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and I will put it on them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone and say to the people consecrate yourselves for tomorrow you shall eat meat for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying who will give us meat to eat for it is better for us in Egypt therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? Listen, when we grumble, when we complain, oftentimes, God will give us exactly what we want. He'll give us exactly what we're grumbling and complaining for. Moses grumbling and complaining, how am I supposed to deal with all these people? Are these all my kids? Did I give birth to all these people? Why is it my responsibility to listen to them day and night? I can't do this alone. I'm losing my mind here, God. I need some help. If you're going to make me do this, why don't you just kill me and put me out of my misery. And so God says, all right, fine, get 70 people and I'm going to take some of the spirit that's on you and I'm going to put it on them. And then you go and you tell the people of Israel that I'm going to give them meat. They want meat. I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to give them so much meat. It's going to pour out of their nostrils. It's going to be coming out of their ears and they are going to be so sick of meat. They're going to loathe it, which there's dislike, then there's really dislike, then there's hatred, then there's extreme hatred, then there's just ridiculous, deep-seated, black heart hatred, and then there's loathe, okay? That's how much they're going to hate meat after how much they get. Yeah, oftentimes when we grumble and we complain, God gives us exactly what it is that we want. And sometimes, yeah, it may seem like a blessing to us at first, like is the case with Moses, but I promise it's always a curse. It's always a curse. 
We'll continue reading and we'll get back to that point a little bit. Exactly. Matt said it was sort of like the plagues in Egypt. Specifically, um, you know, we, when we looked at the plagues of Egypt, uh, here at this, um, on Tuesday night, we looked at frogs, flies, and gnats. And when we looked at frogs, flies, and gnats, we saw that the Egyptians worshipped frogs, flies, and gnats. And so what did we learn? We learned that if you worship anything other than God, God gives you what you worship. That's really similar to what's going on here. Great insight. Another example of God just being the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hey, listen, when you worship something other than God, God will give it to you. And when you ask for something, grumbling and complaining about something you don't have, about your misfortunes or about your lacks, hey, oftentimes God will give it to you. And it may seem like a blessing at first, but it's going to become loathsome to you. That's, by the way, our, I guess, fifth point, maybe sixth. I didn't really emphasize that fact. But listen, when we grumble and we complain, God will give you what you want. Careful what you wish for, because you just might get it, right? Let's continue reading, though. We're going to really try and wrap this up pretty quick here. I've been, I've been talking for long enough already. Verse 20. One, but Moses said, now listen, I just want to stop right now before we get any further. We got to just stop at, but my dad used to always tell me, he used to get on me. You know, my dad is, uh, he's definitely a, a strict man. He's a cop. And so he is the law in the house, you know? And, uh, and he was, he was very good. It, the thing that my dad does the best is my dad's actually like, he's trained and certified, whatever, that he's like a, a human lie detector. Like that's what he does working for the Riverside Sheriff's Department. They call him into interviews and stuff, to, or not interviews, but um, interrogations to see if people are lying. So try and have that as a father. It's not easy to get away with anything. But one of the things that he did um, was he... he analyzed very carefully and very critically the things that you said. Now, this wasn't so extreme and this wasn't tough to pull out, but this was something that I never understood and he would always harp on me about. He would tell me to do something or he would get on me for not doing something and I'd say, yeah, dad, but, and he'd say, stop. But, but stop. Did I tell you to do this? Yeah, but stop. And this is, what he, this is what my dad always said growing up was, it doesn't matter what you say before the word but, everything after it is the only thing that's important. Because what you just said before but is completely negated by everything after the word but. Okay? So, if, you know, Tyler, did you go and do this? Or did I tell you to do this? Yeah, but I didn't really think you meant it. He would say, so what you're really trying to say is you didn't think I meant it. it. It really didn't matter that you understood that I said it. You just didn't want to do it. You didn't care to do it. Yeah, but stop. <laughs> so every time I read but in scripture, I stop and I pay attention because of this life lesson that my dad gave me. Every time you see a but, 
It doesn't really matter what happened before it. It matters what happens after it. So God has just told Moses, go tell this to the people of Israel. Go tell them that I'm going to give them quail. Moses writing says, yeah, but verse 21, but Moses said, the people among whom I number, uh, among whom I am, number 600,000 on foot, and you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? So what's Moses saying? God, you, you're telling me to go tell them that you're going to give them meat? What am I supposed to do? Kill every animal in the camp? Or are all the fish just going to magically flop up on the beach? Every fish in the ocean is just going to flop up on the beach. Do you realize how many people there are here, God? Seriously? You're going to give them meat? Hold on to it. Thanks. You're seriously going to give them meat? Verse 23. And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. Listen, this is our next point. The next thing we learn about grumbling and complaining, if you're taking note, is that grumbling and complaining is rooted in disbelief. Grumbling and complaining is rooted in disbelief. God says, I'm going to do this. And so what does Moses do? He grumbles and complains. Why? Because he doesn't believe that God can really give them meat. The children of Israel are wandering through the wilderness looking back on Egypt and romanticizing it, thinking it was so great and forgetting the promised land and just blowing up their own, you know, circumstances at that time. Why? Because they don't believe that God's really going to take them into the promised land. They've lost sight of that fact. Listen, grumbling and complaining is always rooted in disbelief. Moses didn't believe. And so God says, all right. Is, is my hand shortened that I can't reach you? But fine. We'll see if my word's going to come true or not. We'll see. Verse 24. So Moses went and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man told Moses, ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put his spirits on them. And Moses and the elders of the Israel returned to the camp. Listen. God does exactly what he told Moses he would do in response to Moses' grumbling and complaining. He takes 70 elders, and he takes his spirit off of Moses, and he puts it on these elders. And all of them are there with Moses when this happens at the tabernacle, but two of them are not. Two of the people that God gives his spirit to are still in the camp, and so they're prophesying in the camp. 
And so everyone in the camp realizes that the spirit that's on Moses, this prophetic spirit, can be placed on these guys as well, Eldad and Medad. And that's why Joshua freaked out because he realized this. If the people realize that Moses isn't all that special, they're going to start questioning his authority. If God can bypass Moses and speak through anyone, then what do we need Moses for? And listen, it's no coincidence that from this point on, the authority of Moses is questioned by the people time and time and time and time again. Rebellions are started. People look at Moses, well, who are you? What's so special about you, Mo? Why not me? Why can't I, you know, be the leader of these people? Listen, it may have seemed like a blessing at first, but when we grumble and complain, God will give us what we ask for, oftentimes. But it's always going to end up being a curse. It's always going to end up being a curse. Why? Because if it was good for you, he would have given it to you already. If it was good for you, he would have given it to you already. The Bible says that he withholds no good gift from those who walk uprightly. Jesus also says about the father that he knows how to give give good gifts to his kids. Listen, if it were good, he would have already given it to you. So when he gives you something because you're grumbling and complaining, it's going to be a curse. Otherwise, he would have given it to you already and you wouldn't have had to grumble and complain for it. Make sense? We're almost done with this chapter. Almost wrapping it up on grumbling and complaining. Verse 31 Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side, around the camp, and and about two cubits above the ground. And the people rose all day and all night and all the next day and gathered quail. Those who gathered the least gathered ten omers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. So here's Israel They're standing there, and this quail comes in, and they start hitting them down with sticks, right? They start knocking these birds down. I know you're thinking, Tyler, how do you know that they were hitting them down with sticks? And it's because it says that the one who gathered the least gathered ten homers. Ha ha. Sorry. That was my attempt at humor. But um, my pathetic attempt at humor. I know. Thanks, Kyle. Blessings on that, bro. But listen, what happens here is miraculously, God does exactly what he said. And there's this huge flock of quail that come and a mighty wind blows them in. And all of these birds just come and either they do actually hit them down with sticks or they just grab them because there were so many of them. Or these birds literally just flew in and dropped dead right in front of the camp of Israel. And so the Israelites are going crazy and they go out and they gather all these birds up right? And they just gather all day, all night, and all the next day, gathering up all these birds. And it says that the one who gathered least gathered 10 homers, or um, I don't know about you, but I had no idea what a homer was. And so I had to look it up. And a homer or 10 homers was about enough to fill, or a little more than enough to fill two 55 gallon drums. That is a lot of quail. It's a lot of quail, two 55-gallon drums of these birds. 
Verse 33, while the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatavah, because there were buried, because there they buried the people who had the craving. From Kibroth Hatavah, the people journeyed to Hezeroth, and they remained at Hezeroth. So listen. Family, grumbling and complaining. We've seen that grumbling and complaining is incredibly contagious. We've seen that not only is it contagious, but it, it's rooted in and it gives us a tainted picture of our past and a skewed perspective on our present circumstances. And it causes us to totally forget our future. On top of all that, Complaining and grumbling is totally a selfish act. It's all about me, all about I. And when you do it, God will oftentimes give you exactly what you asked for. But listen, what you asked for is going to end up being a curse to you. It's going to end up being a curse. Why? Because God would have already given it to you if it was good. If it was a blessing, if it was a good thing, he would have already given it to you. Grumbling and complaining, though, essentially is rooted in disbelief. Grumbling and complaining is rooted in disbelief. So Christian, what do we do? What do we do to avoid grumbling and complaining? Well, like I said, I think the the most important thing that we learned tonight about grumbling and complaining is that it's rooted in disbelief. Because grumbling and complaining might be contagious, but so is faith. When you're around somebody that's just believing in the Lord and trusting in him, that they have a, that they're remembering their future and they have a right perspective on their present circumstances, they're, they have a, a right picture of their past, they remember how awful things were back in the world, and they're looking to Jesus having faith in him, running with endurance the race that is marked out before them, fixing their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of of their faith. Listen, when you're around people like that, it, it causes you to be that way too. It's pretty contagious. It causes you to trust God and believe in him. When your circumstances suck, when you're around people that, that have faith, it, it lifts your spirits and you're like, you're right, you know, God can do amazing things and he does work all things out for good and I do trust him and I do have faith in him. When you're around people that, that have faith, that are near and close to God, they're not on the fringes. Listen, they're, they're not selfish, they're far from it. They're selfless. And when you're selfless, How can you be worried about your own problems? How can you be grumbling and complaining about yourself when you're not being selfish? On top of all that, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be happy. You're going to be at peace. And curse and calamity are not going to find you. Why? Because you're not grumbling. You're not complaining. Lord's going to be pleased. He's going to be stoked with you. 
And so, family, as we continue to study the rest of the book of Numbers, this book of complaining, this book of grumbling, let's really take a look at our own lives and see if we're allowing these things to happen in our lives, if we're allowing ourselves to grumble and complain. And if we are, we need to take a look at these seven points and really analyze our lives and say, do I have faith in God or am I disbelieving in his promises? Am I really loving him and loving others or am I more concerned about myself, my own circumstances, my own problems, my own misfortunes? Am I hanging out with people who do nothing but grumble and complain? Because if I am, I'm going to find myself grumbling and complaining too. Do I have a right perspective about my past, my present, and my future? Or is it skewed and tainted? Listen, family. Grumbling is deathly serious to God. So we need to make sure we avoid it like the plague. Listen, family, we serve a great God. A great God. Who not only has a plan and a promise for your life. He has a promised land for each and every one of you. But he loves you. He knows how to give good gifts. And he withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. And so we have nothing to grumble. We have nothing to complain about because even the things that we lack, we can trust God and have faith in him and remember that if he doesn't want to give it to me, I don't want it. Family, let's not be grumblers. Let's not be complainers, but let's rather trust in him. Amen? I went way too long. So let's pray and close this out. Father, you're good. And your word, it endures forever. Everything is going to fall away, God. This planet is going to be destroyed. The universe will one day cease to exist. You're going to destroy it all and create a new heavens and new earth. The clothes we wear, the cars we drive, the houses we live in, everything, Lord, it's all going to burn. It's all going to pass away. Except for your word. Your word endures forever. It's so precious. And so, God, I pray that we would treat it like that. God, I pray that we would continue to study your word with just great fervor, Lord, with great fervency, that we would dig into your word every single day, remembering that it is precious, that we would go out and gather our manna, Lord, morning by morning, that we'd never, Lord, that we'd never take it for granted, but that your word would always be special to us. God, I pray this in your precious son's name. Amen.